Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com, a local news blog that contains news in and around fishers. To stay abreast of the latest local news, check out LarryInFishers.com and follow my Twitter account at Larry in Fishers. Todd Zimmerman is seeking another term as an at-large member of the Fishers City Council. I spoke with Todd at the Ignite Space in the lower level of the Hamilton East Library located in downtown Fishers. Next time you visit the library, check out the Ignite Space and ask one of the Ignite staff members to provide a tour of Ignite. I talked with Todd Zimmerman during the morning of Wednesday, October 16th. At the Hamilton East Library in the lower level, the AV studio, we're with Todd Zimmerman. He is the Republican incumbent candidate for the Fisher City Council at large. Todd has been a councilman at large ever since Fishers became a city beginning in 2015. So, Todd, always good to talk to you. Thank you, Larry, for having this, and thank you for what you do to give back to the community because well, I don't get, I don't think you get paid very much for this, right? I gave myself a 40% raise, <laughs> and I'm still getting paid the same. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for the thought. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm in my ninth year of blogging. I think this is the fourth or fifth year that I have been doing these podcasts. So, uh, And the podcast was just a chance to do what we're doing now, sit down for 30 minutes and talk about your candidacy or what you do. We've talked to you in your, uh, in, in your role as the city council president. We'll talk a little bit about that later on, but we're talking today about your candidacy for re-election. You've been on the council about five years. You've had one full four-year term. You had one year in the transition from a town mm-hmm. To a city. So, uh, again, the mayor gets most of the publicity in any city. That's just the way it works. Absolutely. So you are a councilman, even though you've been here a while. You've been through a couple of election cycles before this. There are probably still some people that don't know much about you or people who have moved into town. We have a lot of new people living in Fisher since the last election. So just talk about yourself. All right. A little bit of background. Uh, I think I have shared this before on previous podcasts, but moved to to Fisher's in 1989. I have not been here the entire time since 89. I moved away for college for a little bit and relocated one time with uh, when I was with Macy's Department Stores and then came back. Um, but, yeah, so I've been in this area for a long time. I uh, moved into Charleston Crossing when it was a brand-new neighborhood, a C.P. Morgan neighborhood on the west side of Fishers, just a little – not far from where we're at right this second. And I watched uh, – I've watched this community grow, and it's been exciting to be part of it. Mer- met my wife in Fishers. Uh, we've been married now 20 years. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary. Congratulations thank, on that. Thank you very much. And we have a 17 – three boys, 17-year-old, a um, 13-year-old, and 11-year-old. So one at Fishers High School, one at Fishers Junior High, getting ready to go into high school. And then our youngest is in sixth grade at Sand Creek Intermediate. Since you have a 17-year-old, we could probably do a whole podcast just on financing college education. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And the letters I'm getting, and I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. But it's exciting time. It really is. I mentioned how long you've been on the council. Um, There's always a decision for anybody. Do you want to run for re-election? How did you come about the decision to seek another term? Well, I, I... 
uh, thought about it, prayed about it, talked to my wife, uh, to actually talked to the kids because I, I, I'm cognizant of the fact that when they go into a classroom, there can be, uh, you know, when last name Zimmerman, you never know what somebody's connotation of that is when you're involved in politics or involved in community service or anything. Uh, they all were very encouraging of it. I wanted to make sure that we continued uh, this mental health initiative that the, the mayor had started back in 2015. And I came alongside to work with our uh, faith-based communities to try to rally around reducing and eliminating the stigma around depression, anxiety, and suicide. But also see through a lot of our redevelopment, our our you know bringing in new businesses, new companies, trying to make sure that our tax base is diversified so that we're not just a bedroom community, but we're community prepared uh, for the for the next generation, prepared to have our graduates come back and start their own businesses in Fishers and be able to work, uh, live, and play here. Yeah, you know, I've talked to Rich Block about this and some others that this really changed because when I moved to Fishers in 91, you beat me by a couple of years. Yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, this was pretty much a, a, a bedroom community. I mean, people lived here, they slept here, but they when you went out to do anything, almost anything, you left town. There wasn't oh, much yes, here. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that was almost by design. But, you know, once property tax caps were enacted a few years ago, you need to commercially develop or you'll have trouble paying for your city. Exactly. So, um, that, And what you're, I think you're saying is, is that you felt that was an important part of building a community. With that in mind, uh, usually I talk about issues, but with you, you have a track record. You've had five years on the council. Talk about your biggest accomplishments you've you've had other than what you already mentioned, several, but uh, add a few more. Yeah, so um, I, I think a couple of the biggest accomplishments are we're, we're really working hard with part of the mental health initiative that I didn't speak to was the broader reach of how this came as a grassroots effort. And without, because as administrations come and go, you know, elected officials come and go through a community through the course of time, really wanted to be the, this something that was long lasting in the community. And it was exciting to see the school system, HSC uh, school district, rally around this. Even the students started stigma free clubs within their schools, now down to the elementary level, which is just amazing and incredible and I can't speak more more highly of that and and very proud of that moment we didn't do that it was just being able to give a voice to people they did it and it, that's exciting the other thing is just the tremendous economic growth uh, in downtown fishers I'm excited about the trail I'm excited about the nickel plate trail I'm excited about those things that are developing where it's going to be a sense of place for people the the amp Amphitheater, which was there before, previously before, I believe, David George, and then really pushed that forward down yeah, the previously. Ta- the town actually built the original they, one because they were ha- they, they were running out of space in front of what was in Town Hall. The original one was built, which was fairly small for just small acts. And then there was a – as you were in the city council, there was a huge expansion and improvement. Correct. And it's just be- – it's, it's created that sense of place and – I was driving by and saw somebody riding their bicycle up and down the trail that's not even – once the once the rail was taken up, there's people started riding their bikes down Well, there. the mayor has said he's not encouraging. No, no. We are not encouraging. <laughs> none of us are encouraging that. But it just shows that there's like a, there's a need and there's a want and desire there. Well, you've had some accomplishments. You've mentioned those. But there have been some challenges. How would you describe the biggest challenges you've seen and what you may see if you're elected to another term? I, I the, the biggest challenge challenge has been infrastructure and also how do you care for 
um, the west side of Fishers. So the place where I grew up, right, which was the only developed area in Fishers the time that I moved here, um, to make sure that the basic infrastructure needs within the subdivisions and then also economic um, development along 116th Street and Allisonville Corridor, that area, is really I th- is is the biggest challenge for us moving forward. We had some ideas in plan. There were some th- some thoughts. Those things did not work out the way that we had envisioned. And so we're trying to just figure out what are those next steps that will that will uh, help revitalize that area because it does need it not, does need uplifting. Does need um, some some. Um, care. And so with that, and also 96th Street, you know, that's that's a challenge. And it's it's a shared challenge between Indianapolis and Fishers. But it is it is kind of the crossroads of the communities coming together. And that that place of when you're coming into Fishers, that's your welcoming into Fishers. And what does that look like? And how do we make sure there's a, a public safety component that is that is revitalized in that area? I, I, I'm very proud of our Fishers uh, police for what they're doing. But it's a, it is a challenge in that in that uh, part of the Fishers. And but making sure also that there's economic development and growth along that corridor so that there's not deterioration. Some of the political opponents of the council here in the recent uh, election campaign as it moves on have attacked um, basically the what they call a lack of transparency in city government and and with the council and it's particularly zeroed in on fashioning the 2020 city budget, which is going to be voted on just a few days after we we uh, record this. Um, I know you're not on the finance committee. They're more in the weeds on this, but you're part of the council. You vote on this. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the city has been transparent? And if so, why, why do you think you have been transparent in this budget process leading up to the, the vote that's about to happen? So we're as transparent as as humanly possible. I mean, there's finance committee meetings that are open open door. Anyone can come in and, and sit in a finance committee meeting. Uh, we all are available via email. I give out my cell phone number, uh, you know, which is not necessarily always the best thing to do, uh, but I do it because I want. And also, I also make sure. One of the things I talked about even in, in our debate was that uh, getting outside of the four walls of city hall and getting to know people in the community. It it lets them it it breaks down a little bit of a barrier and people feel like they can communicate a little more. Sometimes they feel intimidated to come in for whatever reason and stand at a podium. And I get it. I understand. I mean that's that's a when you not when you don't do it regularly and then you're coming and questioning things that you don't you don't have answers to or you're you're maybe there's a little intimidation there uh, because of the the setting. I like to get outside. So part of coaching, going out and getting the community, walking door to door. I've I've gone door to door not during election cycles. I've gone into neighborhoods and just knocked on doors and asked, how am I doing? How are we doing? And you get varied answers, right? You get some that really like what's going on. You get some that put their finger in your face and tell you uh, what for. Um, But I appreciate that because that's the only way you get to know the community and get feedback. So I believe from my perspective, We've been very transparent. There is absolutely nothing hidden. Um, this is all public records. Nobody's keeping this behind closed doors. And our budget speaks for itself. And and really, actually, if people dive into it and realize the disparity in the county with the county option income tax, COIT, and with regard to the massive, massive amount, millions of dollars of money that should be coming to Fishers, not a slide against Carmel, 
but they get a, a disproportionate amount of money because of the way the system was set up. And if if they if people really dug in, they would be upset with that. Well, John Weingart told me in his campaign podcast that as far as he's concerned, and this is his opinion, Carmel is being rewarded for bad behavior. What he meant by that is that Carmel has much larger debt than Fishers and most other cities, really, uh, in, 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 in Indiana, with a few exceptions. Uh, so I guess uh, that continues to be a, an issue before the Indiana legislature, and I have talked to Todd Houston about this. There was a major effort to fix that, not immediately, but over time, and uh, as I understand it, it fell apart at the last minute, but that's the way things happened at the State House. And uh, Todd Houston and Scott Fadness have said they're they're not giving up on this. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it is. A, I think the mayor said that that would that money that is going to Carmel would fund an entire public safety agency in half of another. Yes, it's t- about roughly twenty three million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a big chunk. And of that's the city that budget. that would handle. I I'm you know going off memory here, but I that would handle pretty much our public safety. Yeah. And that that's that's a significant portion of of tax dollars. Well, another issue that has arisen in this campaign is the property tax rate. It has slowly been on the rise over the last few years. Not large increases, but they've added up over time. And uh, in the current budget that you're going to be voting on, there's a two cent per hundred dollars of assessed valuation for uh, real property for next year, which the mayor has sold as, well, we'll do this to pay for what some projects we're doing now rather than bond them and, and, and borrow money and pay for it over time, which would be a, another, it would still have to be funded by a, a property tax increase. So I'm curious, would you hear an argument like that, that why has Fishers had to raise the property tax rate several years in a row? How do you react to that? Once again, I go back to COET. I go back to the, the tax dollars that are already collected under the, the – um, Funding formula, and once again, I don't, I don't blame, I don't cast blame on Carmel or anybody else. The same problem is going to going to rear its head with Noblesville, Westfield, as their populations continue to grow. What's the level set for that? What is what is a fair and balanced approach to dividing this money up? And so that money's already going there. So for us to pay. Basic infrastructure for infrastructure needs for city service needs, we have to we have to handle the rise rising cost of of products. So what you're saying is that uh, if the COET was fixed, you wouldn't need these property tax increases. That- I, absolutely, okay. I, I mean there there wouldn't be a need for it whatsoever. And and so for this two cents, you know, we're looking at how do we take care of Burberry Place, for instance, one neighborhood where if you if you drive through that neighborhood, it was cement. It's cement dry uh, streets. Okay. Well, those cement squares are now coming up. And so when you drive through, it's like do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And a friend of mine fell and punctured his lung oh my gosh. going down one of those streets. Um, so he's walking, you just, mean? Just, I don't know if he's walking or riding his riding bike. bike. I can't, okay. I, it might have been riding his bike. But yeah. he but he fell, punctured his lung, mm. and and there was, was significant injury. And we've just got to make sure that we're taking care of – the basic needs of our community. And unfortunately, when that amount of money is diverted out of our community, the potential for us to have that kind of uh, millions of dollars in tax money, we have to look at other sources. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if it was a finance committee meeting or one of the uh, full uh, 
uh, work sessions for the council where the, the mayor gave us a pretty good uh, technical discussion of concrete versus asphalt, oh. which, you know, is, is a, you have to get into the weeds to understand it. But the bottom line is, you know, concrete's going to come apart. And we've got this, it's not just in Burberry Place, I think it's on 106th Street. Yeah, right there's several, there's several and, locations, and that's, several that's areas. That's kind of yes. a major thoroughfare mm-hmm. area. And that's, they're continuing to be, uh, traffic restrictions as we're speaking right. right now just just to fix that and and the mayor's clear he's not putting any more concrete in no no but, more concrete uh, those no. go back uh, yeah. a long time and that sort of segues into another issue that has become part of this campaign and that is the level of debt in fishers we've talked about the carmel debt we don't we're not anywhere close to that carmel's debt is in the neighborhood of 1.3 billion not sure the exact figure. Mm-hmm. Our debt, depending on how you run the numbers, you could run them different ways, between 300 and 400 million. I think that's about right. Mm-hmm. So even though that's small compared to Carmel, a lot of people still think that may be too large a debt for uh, for Fishers to have. Uh, what is your view on the level of debt that Fishers has right now? I think that it's not only sustainable, but I think it, it is something where uh, we are, because of our cash balance in the bank for the rainy day fund, uh, we have enough cash balance, I believe, based on forecasts, to ride out a recession. Uh, the, you have to also look at the level of debt versus what is the assessed value. And I believe the assessed value is $6.5 billion, if I'm if I'm correct. It, it went up again this year. Yeah. 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 So, so when you look at that, you look at the percentages with regard to that, um, I think that that is a, a level that's sustainable. And these, these bonds and stuff will start rolling off the books over the next few years. And there's just different uh, projects, especially the downtown. I mean, that, the majority of, 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 the, of the debt load would be downtown development and the development that we're gonna, we're gonna see uh, the fruition from that. When you look at the projections, and it's a great, great spreadsheet that I have, I don't have with me here, uh, that shows uh, how that is paid off over time. Uh, it, I, I have no issue with it. Well, there's one other thing that's come up and 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 I'm going to just go back in history a little bit in my experience. When I started covering the Fishers Town Council in 2012, I began my blog. I walked in, and again, not knowing much about town, just kind of you know watching it from afar, reading news stories. Well, they're all there's seven Republicans on the council. I would ex- and even a Republican clerk treasurer at mm-hmm. that time. Uh, there's not going to be much of an argument. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> there were lots of arguments about a lot of things, right. and there were no votes. Right. So there has been a, a charge made that the council is a rubber stamp for the mayor. Now, there are different ways to look at this, and I'm going to ask you in a moment, but there have been issues where there have been some pretty big disagreements on the council, and there have been other issues that where there's pretty wide support for particular issues. For instance, and there's some that are not controversial. If somebody wants a voluntary annexation, that's fine. You know, you don't oh, you would, yeah. there's a council and you'll and and who was involved. It's a, there's no controversy mm-hmm. in that. So my question to you is: When you hear a charge that you're a rubber stamp for the mayor, how do you react to that? First of all, two ways. Um, politically. I expect people to say things, whatever they're going to say, especially when it's an election year. People will say whatever it is they want to say just to try to create division. On a personal level, it's offensive because those are people that have not been around day to day that don't even know who we are. 
Um, I've been doing this now, I think, five years. I have never once had the mayor come to me and say, you need to vote on this as, you know, like an affirmative vote. Sure, right. I, yeah. Never once. What I appreciate is, and I'm not campaigning for Scott here. I think he doesn't even have a challenger. So there, there's not, but, but the fact is that the mayor comes in and presents ideas to us. And he goes, what, what are you, what your thoughts? Should we even, even think about something like this? Not a vote. It's like literally just, is it something even feasible, you know, for us? And it starts dialoguing before you get into the weeds, the details. And that's when the details come out and some of us vote no. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be a project that, yeah, that looks good. But by the time we actually get to what the numbers are, then there's been a few that I've said, absolutely not. I don't agree with. And that brings me to this question, because the most recent vote that had a split, even though it did pass, was the the plan for Fisher's district. For those who don't know what that is, that's right between like where the yard's going to be and that Kroger strip mall. There's going to uh, Thompson Thrift has expanded their their development there to right. kind of add on to the yard. Now that Fisher's district is taking out a bigger bigger, uh, I guess just a, a, a bigger development in general. And you and David George and Cecilia Coble voted no on that, if I remember correctly. I actually voted yes. I oh, voted no, no. I voted no on the apartments in downtown Fisher. Okay, the, the ones on the ex- south side. Explain of, where you agreed or disagreed on that. On that, I, I, yeah, I did okay. my memories. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So, so two different projects, but this one was the one that's right on South Lantern Road. Um, there's a development that was approved um, for mixed use. Another mixed use with some more apartments. I felt like we need to look at possibly some townhomes or single-family homes for a mix of a development in downtown with regard to residential. Uh, I did not uh, want us to have more apartments right now. Wanted to kind of see how that, how what we have develops, right, and, and make sure that you know, get this trail in, get everything going, see see what our what our traffic it, it looks like. So. Yeah, you, when you when you point to that, I think it was Cecilia, myself, and David voted no on that project. Um, so this is when you say rubber stamp. I mean, th- this was sharply divided. Like, and I think somebody was missing during that meeting. I don't think we even had the full nine mm-hmm. there that night because mm-hmm. that could have changed things on that. So, so you know, when when somebody says rubber stamp or they, you know, I saw one thing: ninety nine percent voting across the board, yes. Or, or you know, suspending rules and, and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, those are, as you talked about, voluntary annexations. These are things that, that don't require us to push out for three meetings to talk about a voluntary annexation. But when it comes to, you know, these, these larger developments, we've had sharp division on things. And also, there's been projects that don't come to the light of day because we're, there's like heck no across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's where when somebody says you're a rubber stamp, they don't know, A, us personally. I can only speak for myself, although I trust my colleagues. Uh, they don't know us personally. And they also, I believe, it's politically motivated instead of for the good of the community. If you just briefly tell me, because this kind of dovetails what you just said, any time a development comes up, and the city has a role in it some way, uh, whether it's in zoning or a, a, a TIF financing or a tax abatement, there are a lot of different ways city government would be involved in any kind of pr- a given project. How do you go about evaluating that project when it comes before you? 
So a few things that I look at. Number one, um, what is, what's the amount of money they're asking us, if they're asking for a particular um, incentives with regard to the project, and what is the return on that? So I look at an ROI, return on investment. It's always, to me, it's business. Okay, What is the return on the investment for that? Is that going to help our citizens? Is that going to help our tax base long term? Is it going to help jobs, a diverse um, especially diverse jobs. It's so important. When you look at communities across our nation that are focused on one industry, what eventually happens to those communities? They fall apart because eventually either technology changes or, or depression or recessions come along and, and can wipe out those jobs. So I look at that. I also look at the feasibility of, okay, public safety, What's the need? Is there a need for additional public safety? Is that going to have more tax dollars because of a particular industry or particular development? And then how, what's the impact on our schools? Does, the, does this impact our schools positively, negatively? You know, and so those are the, those are the factors that I, I really look at. And when these attacks come your way, and this came up at the League of Women Voters Forum that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago before we rec- recorded this, uh, I think you and your colleagues point out the fact, look, you know, people want to live here. We were number three in the last Money Magazine, Best Places to Live. We have been number one in the past, and number three is not a bad place to be. You also bring up the AAA bond rating, which I think we're the only city in Indiana to have that. Correct. Uh, but I, one thing about the AAA bond rating, it is something to, to be proud of. It's very difficult to maintain. Do you think you'll be able to maintain it? I think so. Um, what's, I'm not on the finance committee, so it's not the day-to-day of everything with regard to uh, what the finance committee looks at and, and what our you know uh, finance individuals look at. Uh, I don't see every single bit of it, but I um, believe that we are – Uh, we are in a position because of our assessed value and because of the way that we've handled debt, I believe the right way uh, we'll be in good shape for that. It's hard to keep. It's a hard thing to keep, but it's, it's, that's why we're the only one in the state uh, because it's, it's difficult. You know, there's not many out there that can do it. There's something about you that still amazes me. Uh, Anybody who follows you on, on your social media accounts knows that you coach sports teams almost year-round. You're getting ready for basketball season. Sometimes you coach more than one team at a time. Uh, You have a full-time job. You are the city council. You mentioned you have a family of your own with three boys and a wife. How do you find the time to do everything? I and somebody said, "Well, you know, he's younger than you are." I said, "I didn't have that energy at any age." So, how do you do this? Uh, it's 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 just a passion. I think the only way you get up every day uh, and do anything in life is you have to have a passion for it. And we all have twenty four hours in a day, and I've kind of been taught that that every person is given a certain amount. You give them the same amount of time each day, not necessarily the same amount of time on Earth, but the same amount of time each day. And I just want to use that time because I feel like I think it goes back a little bit to childhood because uh, my I didn't become nobody's fault just the way it worked in, in our family. My dad wasn't around for my my events, so that, that's one of those things where I want to be there for my kids, and I also want to be there for other kids that 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 are you know growing up and and trying to find their way in this world. And you know when I've got my own. My own son telling me he's he's getting nervous and anxiety because he 
there because of the drills of the of the shooting, you know, active shooter drills at school. He's nervous that a shooter is going to come in. To I have kids that go into a gym and all of a sudden there's a pop or a bang from a door slamming, and I've got uh, there at the time it was seventh graders ducked down on the ground or my basketball team because they thought the the worst case scenario and it had nothing to do with it. No one was shooting anybody, but it was because a door slammed. We live in such an age where these kids are anxiety riddled and they're growing up in social media age. They're growing up in devices in their hands all the time and they're seeing things that they're reliving traumas. You know, before technology, serious technology, if you had it, if there was a, if there was a tragedy in a community, you wouldn't see it replayed over and over again, right? It would only be in the memory banks of those people that were actually there and experienced it. Now everyone lives every trauma and and it's a, it's a cycle that goes through their mind. I did an interview a couple of years ago, a year or so ago with two graduating seniors, one from Fishers, one from HSE. And it was right after, uh, well, just a few weeks after the shooting incident in Noblesville. Mm-hmm. And I asked them well, how they reacted to that. And, and the answer was interesting. ties into what you just said. They said, you know, we have lived with shooter drills our entire educational career. We have, it's always there, and we are aware of it because we have to go through these drills. So it's like, yes, it was shocking. It was bad, but it wasn't a total Surprise, and isn't that a different? You know, when I was growing up, I'm 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 68. For full disclosure, you know, it was duck and cover. We thought there was going to be nuclear war. Yeah, right. And now it's a different kind of fear people have. So, well, and that's what that's yeah. what drives me with regard to coaching. If I can be a little piece of taking them away from that stuff for a moment in time, uh, for a few years of their childhood, where. They can focus on that and not focus on everything else that's going on in this world. Um, then it's worth it to me. Well, here's uh, I, you're ready for this question. You've gotten it before at the end of every interview. Yeah. Uh, you're talking to someone who's a potential voter in the city of Fishers. By the way, the at-large election is the entire city. Anybody in the for and in my district and several, it's the only election in Fishers. Wow. There are several city council districts that are unopposed. So with that in mind, you're talking to me. I'm a potential voter. I said, Mr. Zimmerman, I've only got a couple of minutes. I've looked at you, looked at your opponent. Uh, give me a couple of minutes on why I should vote for you. Well, once again, thanks, Larry, for having me on, on this podcast and for doing this. Um, I just – I believe that I, there's the work left undone still in our community with regard to mental health. And with regard to removing the stigma of mental health, I also believe there's work yet to be done with regard to how we're forming and shaping this community economically, uh, specifically economically, with, and, and also with our infrastructure. And the, the challenge is, and the reason why I'm running for re-election is I want to see that to the finish line. I want to see that to where we've, we've fully got our community to a place where we have we have taken care of – uh, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, made sure that our community is set and has that foundation for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Um, I, you know, serving five years, I don't know that I'll run again. I don't have it. You know, I have no idea. I, I take this every every cycle. I'll just look at it again and, and consider it. But I do want to. I, I want to make sure this next four years are focused on continued uh, economic diversity within our community, and also focus on mental health for our community. 
Todd Zimmerman, uh, incumbent Republican, Fisher's City Council at large. So, uh, Todd, once again, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Larry. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area. So check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.